Good morning, everyone. It's very good to see you. Always uh, fun to get together, enjoy our time in service to God. We are, uh, this, I, as I promised, the month of February will be a month in which we talk about uh, the ideas of what the church is in the New Testament. And so we were going to follow up with that this week. Last week, we talked about just the word church and how it is used in Scripture simply to refer to a group of people, not an institution, not an organization, not a mystical uh, compartment in which God takes saved people and sticks them in there. Uh, that is not the idea. Uh, this morning, we want to add to that and talk about how the church is used in two different ways, both in a universal way, in other words, referring to all the saved, whether dead or alive, and in a local way. Now, I'm sure most of you understand that. However, it is our terminology and the way we think about that that often gets pretty messed up. In fact, in my experience, <clears throat> this is probably one of the most egregious errors that are made by Christians and, in fact, by a great large percentage even of gospel preachers. The things that I read uh, often shock me as to the uh, words and the phrases and the way this, this is talked about. Let me give you a little illustration of this, and this was just really a, not too many years ago uh, at all <clears throat> into the 21st century. When I was in Fayetteville, Arkansas, the sign that we had on our building was a Church of Christ meets here, undenominational Christianity. It was uh, a quite a successful uh, advertisement of who we were. Lots of people from the community would visit, and I would ask them, in fact, uh, why did you decide to show up here? And they would say, well, we saw this undenominational Christianity we figured you just study the Bible. That's all you do. And I said, you're exactly right. We're not connected to a denomination. We're not a denomination, and we simply try to learn and do what God says. Uh, and that, that was great. However, it was not so great from Christians who might visit us or Christians who heard about the sign. Uh, this is uh, some of the things that I got. In fact, there was a a, a couple who visited us from eastern Arkansas as they were traveling. And after a few days, they got home and they wrote us a letter. And in the letter, they said this, Where in Scripture do we read of a church of Christ? There's only one church, and therefore uh, it is not a church of Christ. It should be the church of Christ. Of course, I um, shook my head. <laughs> put one of my hands in on my face and kind of went, yikes, uh, this is tough. So I, I uh, wrote a letter back and tried to write a very kind letter back and simply said, uh, tried to show the differentiation between what the Bible was talking about when it said uh, that uh, there is the church, <laughs> uh, universal, by the way, the Bible never, never says the church of Christ, but uh, uh, he, I, I pointed that out, and then I said, as for your question, does the Bible ever say a church of Christ? I said, yes, uh, you could say it does. In 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen, 18, Paul said to the Corinthians, 
when you come together as a church. If you count the Corinthian church, a church following Christ, then certainly a church was appropriate, and our description is certainly appropriate. We are not the church of Christ. That would mean that there was no other saved people on the face of the earth. But you're old enough, you have heard that kind of comment happen a lot, which is one of the reasons people come up with a conclusion, oh, you guys think you're the only ones going to heaven. Um, no, <laughs> sorry, that's not what we believe, and yet I understand why you would think that. Then, uh, following that, there was, a, there was a preacher about 40 miles south of us that decided to write a uh, eight-article series on why we uh, were um, totally off base by having that particular sign. And uh, one of the things, I wouldn't go into all the things that he said, but one of the things he said in one of his articles was that you guys are trying to disassociate yourself from the Church of Christ. <laughs> so uh, he, he challenged me for debates repeatedly, and I always turned him down because I thought it would end up to be nothing but foolishness. Uh, but uh, at any rate, obviously in this particular case, there's two things that have happened here. Uh, first off, uh, a church can't dis disassociate itself from the church of Christ, uh, that is the universal church or the universal group of saved people, because a church isn't in the church of Christ. Individuals are in a church, uh, universal, because they're saved, and this is the, some of the things we'll talk about, but uh, a church can't, we even, couldn't even try to withdraw from the universal church because a church is not in the universal church. And we'll make that clear in a moment. The, they also invented, didn't differentiate, and then they also invented a third definition of church, and that is a collection of church, churches of Christ, or as they might say, true churches of Christ, that can be seen and identified on earth. Well, that doesn't exist either in the Scripture, and it does exist, uh, by the way some people think about it, but it does not exist in Scripture. So you, you can get a little idea just from some of these comments of how confused people can be about what the church is that they're reading about in the New Testament. And a lot of that just simply comes from what they've heard as they grew up. The language that they've heard used, the language they've heard preached, all of these things plus the denominational influence around us and the emphasis, as we mentioned last week, of instead of advertising Christ, of trying to advertise us. And all of those things put together have created tremendous confusion. The worst part of this, and this is the reason this lesson is so important, if we don't correct our language here, if we don't correct how we talk about this, we are going to leave major, major uh, sinful messages concerning the gospel of Christ to our world around us. This is what we're trying to get away from. We're trying to teach the world that you need to come to Christ. And after you come to Christ, God, join, God actually adds you to his church. And after you come to Christ, then you're going to seek out a local group of people to, that, that try to follow Christ and you're going to worship with them. And this is what the Bible teaches. But when we're not using correct language, People think that, okay, well, it's your denomination, it's that denomination, which denomination am I going to choose instead of, I'm going to choose Christ. And this is so critically important. And again, I know 
probably most of you understand a lot of these things, but I'm going to give you some of the nuances, even for those of you who understand it, that I think will help even more as we look at this. First, we do need to make a point that the Scriptures teach us a distinction between universal and local. And by the way, the Bible does not use the word local, and the Bible does not use the word universal. We're doing that accommodatively to differentiate between a group of people that's meeting in a location, which would be local, and then a, then a group of people that don't ever meet. A group of people that are simply all the people who have ever been saved, both dead and alive. So let's notice that just quickly. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. What does that mean? You could read it this way. Upon my, this rock, God, Jesus said, I'm going to build my group of saved people. That's what I'm going to do. And, uh, and, and nothing can stop that. Uh, later, you see over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 22 and 23, a really good description of the church in its universal sense. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the, here we are, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's an excellent description of the church in a universal sense. We have come to, notice he didn't say we will, we have come to. We have come to join all of the ones who are enrolled in heaven to this great gathering, this assembly of the firstborn, we're all firstborn of Christ, to this great assembly, some of them are dead and some of them are alive. So in that sense, we still have this kind of fellowship relationship with all who have ever come to Christ, whether we know them or don't know them, because we're in that same body. So there's that differentiation, at least from that universal sense. Obviously, Locally, it's easy to see that. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says, to the church of God, that is in Corinth. The group of people serving Christ in a specific location. That's quite a bit different to those who are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints. So you can see there's an obvious difference between the two. The Bible speaks of it often. And you and I have are the challenge is simply being able to notice the context and figure out which he's referring to when he uses those terms. And that's extremely important. Now, for the rest of this, what I want to do is just very quickly hit a number of things and show how different local and universal are in how we function. First and foremost, there are differences in how fellowship is seen and looked at between these two. For example, in the universal church, fellowship is primarily defined as our relationship with Christ. It's not really defined in our relationship with each other or working together with each other primarily. It's defined as our relationship with Christ. That was read for us by Christ this morning, that we are in fellowship. The apostles left their word, their witness, their eyewitness, and we are in fellowship with the apostles, and thus their fellowship is with Christ, and therefore we're, our fellowship is also with Christ. And if we say we are, have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, then we lie and do not practice the truth. So he's talking there about specifically the relationship between us and Christ. When you think of all the saved of all time, what are you thinking about? 
You're thinking about the fact that they have a relationship, they have fellowship with Jesus Christ because they were forgiven of their sins. That's all you're thinking about because that's all they are. There isn't anything more to it. However, when you talk about a local church, it's primarily concerned and defined with fellowship with Christians. So you can have fellowship with Christ uh, and, and, and that's different than a local body that is primarily working on fellowship with each other. So there's two different relationships that are seen there. Paul mentions this in Philippians 4.15 when he says, And you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church had fellowship with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you only. The fact that Philippians sent money to Paul was a fellowship together. That's how ASV translates the Greek word translated partnership in some versions um, and, and other words, but they're all from that kononea word that has to do with a, a practicing relationship, sharing something together. And so fellowship in the local church has to do more with horizontally and what we do and how we work together, and that can even be individual Christians with other churches, even though they might be in one local church. There's also a distinction in the manner of entry into these two groups. Entering the universal church is done when the Lord adds a person to the church when their sins are forgiven. So when we obey Christ and our sins are forgiven, the Lord adds us to the church. And you know that from Acts 2, 41 and 47. Those who received, received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here again, Jesus is the one who does the adding. And yet, when you, when you talk about a local church, you can't, Jesus doesn't add you to a local church. You join it. You choose to become a part of it. And the local church chooses as to whether it's going to let you become a part of it, as a matter of fact. And it's this, you can see this when Paul... Uh, right after he is converted in Acts the ninth chapter and verse 26, you can see Paul coming to the church in Jerusalem and trying to join with that church. Acts 9, 26, uh, the scripture says, uh, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus so he went in and out among them in Jerusalem so you see that Paul came at first he's rejected they're not going to let him and then Barnabas vouches for him and then he is accepted and he chooses to join the church. Jesus doesn't put you in a local church. And you're not in a local church just because you're forgiven or just because you are in the universal church. That is, you have been saved. That is a, a simple difference that, are, that is given there. There's also differences, and this goes right along with this. There's differences in enrollment. Uh, that is, like, who is in this? In the enrollment in the universal church is completely and governed and decided by Jesus. And Jesus never makes mistakes. So nobody's in the universal church that shouldn't be there. 
Okay? Jesus never makes mistakes. He has a perfect enrollment. All the people in the universal church are saved. All the people in the universal church have their names written in heaven. You see this in Revelation 20, verse 15. If any man's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. Well, who's that? People who are not in the universal church, who are not saved. They're thrown in the lake of fire. Even Moses makes reference to this in Exodus 32, 32. He, he says to God, but now if you will forgive their sin, he's interceding, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. So here is the Lord adding people to his book, but also with the perfect ability to remove them also from his book. He keeps a perfect enrollment. And Moses offering himself would not do any good in this case because God just doesn't make mistakes about who is going to be in his universal group of saved people. But enrollment in a local church, of course, is quite different. It is governed by that particular church. We govern here who is going to be a member at the church in Woodland Hills. We are willing to accept anybody that God has accepted, but of course, we are the ones who govern that. And we also understand local churches make mistakes. Uh, we just saw that. The church in Jerusalem made a mistake in the beginning of not allowing Paul to join them. That's possible because we don't have infinite knowledge of what a person is or who he is or whatever. And unless we're sure that they're not coming in like Saul of Tarsus to destroy the place, we would want to be cautious and careful. So much so that in the first century, Paul even refers to sending letters from one to another church to vouch for this particular individual because of the persecution that was going on. There's also differences in the effect of death. If you are a saved person and therefore in the universal church, this consists, of course, of Christians both alive and dead. And even though you die, does not remove you from the universal church. Paul mentions this, Philippians chapter 1, 23 and 24, when he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. When Paul died, he was still saved. He departed and became unified was actually with Christ. But he was no longer a member of a church on earth. He was no longer part of that. Uh, and that's the other side of the coin. A local church is only made up of the living. When Stephen was stoned in Acts 7, he's no longer a member of the Jerusalem church, but he is still a saved person, and he is still in the universal church. So again, there's a difference in the effect death has. Death doesn't end the relationship with Christ. It does end the earthly relationship with one another or with a local church in that regard. There's differences in beginning, and this is a biggie here. This has been violated so much. The universal church, again, in the saved in Christ, began in Acts chapter 2. Jesus said, Matthew, I'll build my church. And then in Acts 2, he said, I'm adding them to that number. And so the, the idea is, in the universal church, it did have a beginning in Acts chapter 2. Well, on the other hand, local churches have been started at different times for the last 2,000 years. 
And they have started in different places, like in the New Testament. You have Corinth, Ephesus, Thessalonica, Philippi. You have all kinds of local churches. And those local churches then have, were started at different times, and there's a mul multiplicity of them. Have you ever read a sign on a church? I have, that said, <laughs> Church of Christ, established 33 A.D.? That's embarrassing. That is absolutely embarrassing. That church was not established 33 A.D. <laughs> we didn't have anybody in America, right? <laughs> you know, what are you, what are you talking about? Paul didn't quite make it over here in his missionary journey, I don't think. At any rate, the, you see how they've mixed that up. They are talking about the universal church when it started and then applying it to them as the church that, it start, that, it, that started it. Again, tons of problems with that. You're seeing the universal churches made up of churches and you're seeing some relationship between a local church that's following Christ and all the people who have been saved. And we'll see that even more in a moment, but there's a lot of differences in that. There's a difference in number in these two churches. There is only one universal church, one group of saved people. There isn't any more than that because that's what Jesus said. Uh, he said, I'll build my church, singular. Uh, Paul said, there is one body. And in Ephesians 1, he said, the Christ is head over all things of the church, which is his body. Well, this is what people do. They go, well, there's one church. Well, what are you talking about? Well, I guarantee you, if you're telling a person who doesn't understand Scripture very well that there is one church, you are going to absolutely uh, confuse them to death, and you're going to run them off. There is no limit to the number of local churches there could be, as we have just mentioned. So consider the problem when somebody says, well, there's only one church. Which one is it? The one you go to? Are you exclusive? Where is it? Can you see it? If there's only one church, anybody can see it? Can you see it? You can't see the universal church. It, it only made up to save people. It's, it's impossible. So it is the most confusing thing to say, and I have heard that said hundreds of times. Well, there's only one church, and the individual is talking about our group of churches that can be seen here on earth. There's no such thing as a group of churches that can be seen here on earth as far as Scripture is concerned. It does not define it that way. So again, our language, our emphasis, and the way we talk about things and the way we're arguing sometimes for what's right and wrong is coming from an entirely wrong angle and is not just simply not true. There's differences also in earthly organization. Uh, in other words, when you look at the universal church, it doesn't have an earthly organization. We have no officers on earth. Christ and the apostles and prophets are not here, even though they are the foundation of the church. Uh, all of the officers, even though at one time were briefly on earth and had certain powers that are not given to anybody else, they're no longer here. There's no organization of a universal church. It simply does not exist. But on a local church, and by the way, there's no authority on earth to, for men to, to, to speak in terms of we need to gather and govern all Christians or all groups of churches. Has that been attempted? A jillion times. Has it been attempted in churches of Christ? 
Absolutely. Some of these magazines that have come out and said, you know, basically we will tell you what the right and wrong is. And if you don't follow us, we'll, you'll be disassociated. <laughs> Something like this. I mean, utter silliness, utter unscriptionalness while we claim total scripturalness. It just isn't so, and it's so damaging. A local church does have an earthly organization. Paul says to the Philippians, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, there you are, that's in a local church. It's not goes does not go beyond that, and he very clearly talks about how there are overseers in a local church. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 5, when he says, you are to shepherd the flock among you. It is only locally that a shepherd would do these things. There's no governing outside of that. We will talk more about that. We talk a little bit about how that developed in, uh, in, first, in the first century and how that's got passed on. Ever since about 150 AD, this governing of many churches has often gone on. There are differences in divisibility. This is also extremely important. Since the universal church is just controlled by Christ and only is made up of the saved, and there's really no organization or collective action, it can't be divided like a local church. You can't divide it. You can't divide the universal church. The universal church never has, never has a division in it. Ever heard it somebody say, well, you know, all these issues that are dividing the church. There have never been an issue that has divided the church. Except if you're talking about a local church. If you're talking about a universal church, you're talking about all the same. There's never been an issue that's divided the church. You can't divide it because Jesus doesn't allow it to be divided. He controls it. Now, as far as uh, that is concerned, some people have even said, uh, taking the parable of the tares, well, on the day of judgment, Jesus will gather out of the church all those who practice sin. Of course, what it says in Matthew 13 is on the day of judgment, Jesus will gather out of his kingdom. Well, what did we just do? We made kingdom and church equal and then said that Jesus is going to gather out of the church all who are practicing iniquity. Excuse me, there are no people practicing iniquity in the universal church because the universal church are the perfect number of saved. It is no such thing. And you're equating kingdom and church, as we'll devote another lesson to, uh, just is erroneous. It does not fit the scriptures at all. On the other side of the coin, a local church can be divided in jillions of ways. In fact, the Corinthian church, Paul said, there's divisions, not even singular. There are divisions among you. You can divide it all kinds of ways because of false teaching, false doctrine, uh, attitudes, any number of ways that a local church can be divided. Uh, Paul even said, or John even writes this to give you an idea. He says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. I'm talking about a local church. Here's one man 
who is controlling the membership of a local church, erroneously, of course. He's kicking the people out who are true Christians, and he's keeping the people who will follow him, and you're seeing, again, the problem of what can happen even in, a, and even in an earthly church. Furthermore, there is differences in composition. Hit this briefly because we've talked a, a lot about it any, already. Jesus says he's the savior of the body, of the whole universal group of saved people, obviously. He controls that composition. But here's the difference. A local church can have some who are saved in it and some who are lost in it. A person can be a faithful member, quote-unquote, of a local church and not be saved. And that's evident by many examples in the New Testament. The church at Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, he said, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead, though you have a few and you have not sold, sold your garments. So most of that church was lost. Only a few of them were still in a saved condition there. At the church at Corinth, they had a man among them who was living with his father's wife, and he's in the local church. Now, Paul has to rebuke them for allowing him to stay in there, but the bottom line is you can be a local church and have some saved and some lost. The thing of it is we can fool each other. Any one of us could be living in, open, you know, living in sin secretly without anybody knowing about it and yet still coming here and fooling everybody else. That's just the nature of a local church. We don't have infinite knowledge or wisdom. So, but a universal church, Jesus would know exactly that was going on, and that person would not be in his universal group of saved people, obviously. So there is that difference as well. There's differences in the necessity of belonging. Here's another thing people get confused about. Uh, the person who's not in the universal church is simply not saved, because that's what it means to be in the universal church. The saved are the universal church. You might, maybe it's easier to even say it this way. The saved are the universe. The saved are in the universal church. The saved are the universal church. And you simply are a part of that to make that really clear. However, it is possible to not be in a local church for a temporary period of time and still be saved. When the eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch was saved, in Acts chapter 8, what local church was he in? He wasn't in one. He's going to go back to Ethiopia, and he's going to teach a few people, and then they're going to join together in a local church, but for the time being, he's not. What local church was Paul a member of when he left Damascus and came down to Jerusalem, and they wouldn't let him join them? Well, for a period of time, he's not in a local church. Now, it's God's desire that we join ourselves with a local church because so much of what God commands us is for us to actually work, do it together. There are things he's commanded us to do together. So that is uh, the really critical in this text. There's differences in assembly. And this, again, we've touched on this, hit it briefly here. Universal church doesn't assemble not until the day of judgment, then yippee, <laughs> then we will all assemble. But at, up to that time, it is made up of living and dead, and there's no possibility to assemble the local church. But I mean, the universal church. But a local church is actually commanded to assemble, and assemble regularly, and rebuked if they do not assemble regularly. Hebrews chapter 10, 
verse 24 and 25, so that we can come together and stir up one another to love and good work. So we are commanded to do that. But a universal church just simply does not assemble that way. And I think one other here, or no, maybe two other. Differences in work, also very, very critical here. Uh, these universal church has no earthly organization, and therefore it has no work. There's no working unit. Again, how many times have Christians and churches over the centuries tried to get all churches working together? <laughs> uh, we don't have a work to do that's all churches working together. Individuals work together. I, I work together with other Christians in other places, but the church doesn't actually work together with other churches in, a, in some kind of oversight and working unit share a work together, certainly independently in some ways, and we'll see that sometime later. There's just no authority for churches to form a collective of churches on earth. That started, by the way, in 150 AD. Again, we, and it, it has gone on ever since. But local churches have organization and they have collective action, and we, we have certainly noticed that. So the work of Christ is done by two different ways. It's done by individual Christians, and it's done by local churches. There's no organization bigger than the local church that is designated to do the work of Christ. We do it either individually or some individuals joining together and doing it together, or the local church does it. But there's not some separate organization that is to be built. That's done ad nauseum today uh, all over the place. So there, there, is, there is a picture. When we are not careful in how we speak and teach about the church, the gospel message is simply damaged and we become a denomination. Now, I didn't know, I think I was going to be able to do this rapidly enough to do one other thing here. Um, some of you who are older might remember uh, charts and things, and uh, is, the chart was called the one true church. And the challenge was, are you in the one true church? And what the chart would have was, it would have a timeline from AD 33, a straight line, all the way across, all the way to the present day. And then as it went across, then there would be a deviation. Look, I tried to Google to see if somebody had printed this, but so I could get show it to you. But then as that timeline went on, there'd be a deviation like, okay, then right here the Roman Catholic Church started, and then right here Lutheran Church started, and Methodist Church, and whatever, and just whatever denomination started. And then the question would be, are you going to get back up on this line and be a part of the one true church? So that, that was the question. Are you a member of the one true church that was started in AD 33? Well, of course, that was being asked from the standpoint of, are you in one of the collective local churches that we count as faithful, which makes you in the church of A.D. 33? Uh, very, very confusing and complicated, and the worst way on the face of the earth to try to teach somebody, you just make them another, a member of another denomination is all you do. Here's the problem. First, the terms are mixed between universal and local. They're talking about local churches, but if you get into these local churches, then you'll be in the universal church, or if you're in the universal church, you get, and, and it just makes no sense. And then you're inviting people to join a church that's identified as historically visible on earth. 
some historical group of people that are visible on earth. You're, you're not talking about a group of saved people. And so that is a challenge. And again, you're, what you're doing is, is you're making whom God will save, you're putting that in the hands of fallible people. We're going to tell you whether or not you're in the church that started in AD 33 by whether or not you attend the local church that we, we deem as being faithful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, the terms are being mixed beyond understanding. And of course, one church in this regard has been made up of churches instead of individual Christians. The one body of Christ is not made up of churches. It's made up of individuals because the one body, the universal church, is simply saved people, nothing more. It's not some kind of organization or some kind of draw circle. And at one time it was empty. And then when people were baptized, God put them into it. That's the wrong way of looking at this. So see it as it is. And again, we've got to get back to the ancient ways, the old paths, do the things the way God has told us to do them. Thank you for your attention. If you have questions about that, please talk to me. Uh, be glad to uh, follow up on this. For some of you, that is somewhat simple. But for most of us, if we are not careful, we do not use the terminology that is given to us in, in Scripture. And that's what we have to be careful about. If you are not a Christian, if there's any way we can help you to learn more about the Lord, or if you know what you need to do to be saved and you are ready to do that, we would urge you to take that opportunity now. Talk to us after or step forward while together we stand and while we sing.